What if the Len Bias story is about University of Maryland phenom, who was the second pick of the 1986 draft, who went to the Celtics and just two days later had one of the most tragic and shocking deaths in sports history? The podcast investigates how Bias's death changed the trajectory of NBA history, sparked America's cocaine panic, and made a lasting impact on the world of sports and far beyond. Check out What If the Len Bias Story on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the mismatch presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in person select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. Today's episode is brought to you by Prime Video. Uncontrollable frowning and inability to smile an expression like you just smelled something rotten. These are all signs of resting binge face caused by too many streaming services. But Prime Video ends resting binge face so you can smile again. Easily find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds, and Snakes. Get everything included on Prime. And add hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me, he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Palmer, Kevin O'Concert. Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Cannabis, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Killian, Kevin What's going on, buddy? Well, as we are recording this on a Tuesday night, a little extra lag time in the NBA Finals with them having an extra day off. Little did we know that there would be news break on a Tuesday night. And it was big news because one of the superstars of the game, Kawhi Leonard, had an injury that kept him out of the playoffs. All of the details about his injury were rather murky. We, in fact, goofed about it a few weeks ago. And then it comes out tonight that he had a partial tear of his ACL that required surgery and that he has already underwent surgery for the partially torn ACL, which is a very long recovery, Kevin. So we got a lot of lot to sift through with this. Um, when you saw that news come across, what was your first reaction? If a ACL injury recovery is about nine months, that would place his return about April 2022, which would be the start of the NBA playoffs. So if Kawhi resigns with the Clippers or if he goes somewhere else, his return might not be until the start of the postseason. And if the Clippers do get Kawhi Leonard back, I would think on something either, you know, a one and one 
Maybe he opts out of his player option for next season, then signs a one plus one. That way he could become a free agent again in 2022 if he wanted to or opt in again. But if he were to do that, it's going to be a situation where the Clippers are going to have a full season without Kawhi Leonard. There's no guarantee they would even make the playoffs. They might be in the play-in. So, uh, I mean, it's insane. The ripple effects here for the Clippers in the short term and the long term, because who knows what Kawhi's going to do? Who knows when he'll be back? And we know with him, Chris, he's going to be super, super conservative with his comeback. He very well might just miss the entire season knowing his history with injuries. Well, especially because he'll be 31 years old. Right, 31 years old with a history of injuries and I think maybe dependent upon, and I know this, is, this isn't the fun way to talk about this, but dependent upon how much of the bag gets secured, as they say, because Kawhi Leonard has a very interesting situation um, leading into this offseason. He can become a free agent. If he declines his $36 million option, he can re-sign with the Clippers for four years for $175 million. Or he could also, as you mentioned, sign a one-year deal, and then next year he would be eligible for a $246 million contract. And that's because he's only been with the Clippers for two years, so they don't have his bird rights right now. One more season would give them their his bird rights, which would allow them to sign him to a five-year max contract, which is why the big differential in the finance is there. Yeah, and so if you are the Clippers and you uh, – 31, we're, we're watching a 36-year-old at times be the best player in the NBA Finals. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we get still top five, top 10 player Kawhi. But we don't know. We don't you know. Don't know. We you don't, don't know. know. And don't know. he has not been able to make it through. You know, that was, it was a tough go during the Toronto run. Right. And then obviously it ended horribly in the very weird season. And we have to remember, Kev. So he was all the way injured in San Antonio. He took all kinds of games off uh, when he was in Toronto. And then it was a rough go during the playoffs. Then he goes to the Clippers, takes a ton of rest, tons of rest, and has a monster break before they go play in the bubble right? Which is not available in any other regular season. And then this year obviously didn't make it all the way through. And so you're, you're going on, you know, not a great track record of the most recent three, four years of feeling like this is a guy that's going to be able to play. If I'm spending $246 million, I'm hopeful that a guy can play 70 games for me and be available for the playoffs. You don't know what you're going to get from him moving forward. And for the Clippers, like you have an opportunity to bring Kawhi Leonard back long term. You bring Kawhi Leonard back long term. Yes. (laughs) Regardless of any questions, regardless of whether he goes to your doctors, regardless of whether he shows you his medical records, you're taking a chance on Kawhi Leonard. With that said, though, Chris, for the Clippers, uh, you want to bring Kawhi back. You want to bring him back long term. This will now be year three of the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George experiment year one, the team was fraudulent year two. They get hurt year three. 
you have your best player out for possibly all of the regular season. You might not even make the postseason because now you get the Warriors that are going to be reloaded. The Lakers that are going to get better. There was a report earlier today uh, from Sham Sharani, I believe, that they're more willing to have 80 at the five and LeBron at the four more often, which could unlock a heck of a lot for that team on the offensive end of the floor. The Lakers are going to be better. Teams like the Nuggets, they'll get Jamal Murray back sooner than the Clippers would get Kawhi Leonard back. I mean, the Pelicans should get better. These younger teams, the Mavericks should get better. The Clippers they could be in the play in conversation, just like the Lakers were, were this season. They might not even be for like a seven or eight seed for the play in. So I don't know, Chris, it's a scary time right now for the Clippers with so much uncertainty here. You got to bring Kawhi back, but it's a wasted season in all likelihood, unless he comes back and he's a hundred percent right away for the playoffs. You might not make the playoffs. This sucks, man. It's hard. It's hard to believe if you pay him the contract. If he's if he's on the books for thirty six million dollars next year, I mean, how? I mean, how how are how are you putting together a roster that is going to be able to compete within a West, which, as it you can't. mentioned, and, and 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 there's going to be other teams that didn't make it. Theoretically, look, the Pelicans should be better than they were this year. There are teams that didn't make it that should also improve this year. And we talked about you know during. Those playoffs, I I remember mentioning to you, it's pretty incredible what they're doing, and they should be proud of what they're doing with Paul George as their best guy. But no if, you, if you lined it up and you said, all right, that team is going to play 82 games, how many games are they winning? I mean, we I said there would be an argument as to whether or not they would be a playoff team. And that's with and that's with amazing Reggie Jackson. Yeah, you said that at the time. Yeah, yes. I remember that. And so now, I mean, I mean, I guess you'll have Ibaka, right? But I mean, <laughs> but you're probably losing Reggie Jackson. Yeah, the version of Serge Ibaka that you had towards the end of the season when he's hurt, not looking the same, that was not a great Serge Ibaka, right? So you got Ibaka, who's a free agent. You got Nicholas Batum, who is very important this season, who's a free agent. Reggie Jackson's a free agent. Ibaka with the player option, we'll see what happens with him, but... It's not just with Kawhi Leonard here that there's uncertainty. It's with these other guys, Batum and Jackson specifically, who were very important contributors to this team. For the Clippers here, I, I, you know, assuming you get Kawhi Leonard back, assuming you get him back, whether it's a one-on-one, whether he just opts into the player option, whether he signs long-term with a four-year max, regardless of whatever way you get Kawhi Leonard back, to me, you still need to build with championships in mind and the guy that I'm going after in this scenario is still, I want Kawhi recruiting Kyle Lowry. I want to try to work out a sign and trade for somebody like him with Patrick Beverly and with Luke Kennard salaries, which could work to get Lowry that way. That way you could set yourself up. If you had Lowry or somebody like Lowry and Paul George throughout the regular season, you can compete enough to at least get the plan or maybe sure. one of the top six slots. And if you do that and then you get Kawhi Leonard back in April, for the first round of the playoffs, man, like you'd be loaded with a fresh Kawhi Leonard, fully rehabbed, ready to go. That could be the formula. Like that could be the way it sets up. So is that opportunity even going to be there though, to get a Lowry? There's not a lot of other options on the market. And that would also have to be a sign and trade, which brings up other complications. So I don't know what the options are, but you got to do everything possible to get somebody else who helps you win now because if you can get into the playoffs, who knows what can happen if you're getting Kawhi Leonard back then. I think this makes it, this is an odd angle, but wouldn't you agree that 
in the case, because we can never know what the guy's thinking, in the case that he thought, you know, I did it here for a couple of years. Who knows what's going to happen with Paul George? We've changed the coach. I know the owner. Like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I know I just got the house, but I can live in the house in the offseason, right? I mean, we're traveling around. We're bouncing around throughout the season anyway. So, and I'll live there once my career is over. If, if, I'm just saying we never know with what he's thinking, but if he was thinking, I might go elsewhere or I'm at least going to entertain the idea of going elsewhere. I feel like that is now marginalized in a way that I just, I, I think this is the, in this bizarre way, the best chance to ensure he's a clipper. You know what I'm saying? It's like because of this injury, I think their chance of keeping him, signing him up, because if you're because they would know the situation better than other people. Maybe. Dealt, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you would hope. As good yeah, as you hope. can. Yeah. Right? Yeah, as good you as you hope. can. They've rolled out the red carpet for the guy. They've dealt with him, Uncle Dennis, the crew. They know what they they know what they've got with him, right? And that if they go and they I, I think they would be the most likely to be totally willing to sign him up to the long-term deal and throw the money. They're the Clippers, right? We, and ju- they, we just saw the Nets do that with Kevin Durant, though, coming off an Achilles injury. That's though, true. Chris. It could be Miami that's like, we'll wait a year for you. Or Dallas is like, oh, Luca's young. We can wait. But we, we knew Kevin wanted out. We did. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yep, we did. Like, he didn't buy a $20 million house in Oakland. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think he did have. I, I don't know if like him. And I Rich think he was Kleinman, already renting a place may, in New York. Might have been, <laughs> might have been renting in in the Bay Area too. I'm not sure he bought there, but either way, either I way. think he already had a place in New York halfway yeah. through after Draymond cussed him out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a lot of uh, rich, wealthy athletes, rich, wealthy people, period, own multiple. We homes just knew the, the country, way that so. one was going, though, in a uh, way oh, yeah. that we've never had any reason to believe that Kawhi Leonard wants to For be sure. elsewhere, and so. The question is, does he do the $36 million and then try to get the $200 million next year? Or do the Clippers just say, hey, we'll give you the, what is the number I said? $176 million for the next four years. We'll give that to you right now. Which he could do. He might say, you know what? Even though the, in, the, re- the return rate for torn ACLs is high, I'm past the wrong side of 30. I know the extent of my knee issues and potential problems down the line. I'm just going to sign long-term now and take the money while I have an opportunity. He very well could do that. He very well could, but he also could go the other side here, Chris. He could do the one-on-one, then just not play the entire year and still demand the five-year contract the year after that. Which is, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, it is... I mean, it's 70 million difference. It's 70 million. It's different money. Big money. I mean, are you giving him two hundred and forty six million dollars? He's Kawhi Leonard. Like what? The Clippers are all in. They traded all their draft picks. What are they going to do? Just trade Paul George? I know. I I mean, I just don't know. I just don't know. Oh, this has been a disaster. It's we've got to admit that it, it is. I mean, this is just. Never what you would have thought when they when they added him. We were at summer league, no less. 
when that story broke and I remember waking up in the morning and seeing all these texts and I was like, wait, what? And it was that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were both going to the Clippers. And it was, it was like, they're going to be competing with the Lakers. They're going to, they got their guys now. And this is going to be, this is going to be a team that's going to be in the Western Conference finals for what? For how many years in a row? And haven't even seen him play once in two years. No, no. it's disappointing. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's crazy the the way the way this stuff plays out. And I who knows how he comes back from the ACL. But I mean, he has been. It's not just the ACL to me. He's had the quad issues. He's had a whole bunch of lower body issues. I think Kev is. Did it say when he got the surgery? I don't believe the report did say when he got the surgery. So we don't even I mean, timeline wise, he last played in a game a long time ago, right? Like when when we talked about this when it first happened and I expressed my dismay at the fact that there was no reporting on this clipper wise, you know, there's typically injury, diagnosis, rehab, plan of attack, surgery, whatever you're gonna do, recovery time. You know, and then they say we expect him to make a full recovery and typical amount of time out is or he's going to be out indefinitely, whatever they say. But I bet they call it indefinitely in this case. Fourth quarter, by the way, last game he played was June 14th. So when everybody hears his podcast on Wednesday, that'll be one month since we exactly saw last month. play. Yeah. And he could have gotten surgery in any of those days in the yeah. last month. R- regardless, the, the, ti- the realistic timeline, April. Realistically. One thing I did uh, think about, and I know you've done a lot of reporting on injuries in the past, but I, I this is one I don't know. Um, it was interesting. It was reported as a partial tear of the ACL instead of a torn ACL. Like they, they put in the word partial, but does that make any difference? Do you know? It doesn't usually for the surgery. Usually for the sur- surgery, a full reconstruction is still necessary just like if it were a completely torn ACL. So the injury time in all likelihood, no guarantees, but in all likelihood would be the same for Kawhi Leonard. Then I don't really understand the whole throwing in the partial. It kind of, I guess it makes it sound better. I mean, like, oh, just, we didn't totally tear it. He partially tore well, I mean, that, that's just what the injury <laughs> but, is. Like Spencer did what he had a partially torn ACL back in December and had to have the full surgery. But I mean, it, it's, it sucks. We man. never like, saw this, him play. This, this is all. Yeah, we didn't. You're right. This sucks. I mean, it can take a year. ACLs, I mean, it's not irrational. Nine is quick. Nine months is like you've pushed it. You've made a full recovery. And now in this day and age, you ain't messing around with that. I I would be absolutely stunned if you saw Kawhi Leonard back on a court in nine months. No way. No way. I mean, that's that's the thing. You, I mean, you're you going to risk it. You could first round, second round of the playoffs. I don't. That's that's going to be the conversation next year. When is Kawhi going to return? Are the Clippers going to be able to make the playoffs? Are they going to be in the play-in? Like that's that's what it's going to be. That's yeah. what it's likely going to be if they get Kawhi back. Which well, we'll find I'm sure, out. I'm sure he'll feel a tremendous amount of pressure. <laughs> He won't even go to any yeah. of their games next yeah. year. As he scrolled, He's going to be at home yeah. next year. Well, he'll be in San Diego probably most of the year. Yeah, I would. I, I would imagine. And then we'll see him, and he, he shows up at a game like looking like Ken Griffey Jr. did at that home run derby last <laughs> night. <laughs> like Kawhi's just been hanging out at his house for nine months. It's too bad, man. It sucks. It sucks. But now the Clippers are in quite the precarious situation, and 
They are not a team, sans Kawhi, that people will be just jotting into the playoffs unless they do, like you said, and go get a Kyle Lowry, go get some stuff that makes that persuades you to believe that they could be one of the top eight teams in the West. And I'm not talking like top 10, one of the top eight teams in the West that would at least have pole position um, regarding playing for a play-in. My God. I mean, that's a big superstar. There's a, I mean, he's one of the biggest. On the inverse, this is, you know, you don't ever want to see people get hurt, but this is good news for like the Grizzlies of the world, the Pelicans of the world, you know, even like teams like the the Spurs who still might be competitive, trying to get an opportunity either with a top seed with a playoff lock or a spot in the play in tournament. Any team that like even the Nuggets, if the Nuggets were to struggle without Jamal Murray to start the season for whatever reason, even though they finished strong. I mean, all of those teams now with the Clippers, there's one less formidable threat that could get a top four seed in the Western conference. So they're knocked down a peg, which helps everybody else out in the West. I mean, this, uh, it, it's just, it's too bad. It's unfortunate. Uh, I'm they need Terrence man to be the next Kawhi Leonard. Like they just need, they need Reggie Jackson to keep averaging 20 points per game, <laughs> except now he'll probably be making like $17 million. <laughs> Oh, what a rough spot, dude. I don't know how it's the terrible. Clippers get out of this. I don't know how they build up and become a championship team aside from like Kawhi recruiting a Lowry or another guy to come there and assign and trade. That's the, that's the path to adding talent and making this season not a lost one. Well, and it sucks because we've lost a lot of guys. I mean, we just, we just, we just had a whole season. I mean, it, it, clearly the Murray injury in the middle was awful. Did not see Clay Thompson play basketball at all. This past year, um, you know, had a lost Curry season the year before. I mean, lost Durant season, of course, yep. lost mm-hmm. the Durant season. And so hopefully he can make a full recovery and we still get to see some great Kawhi Leonard years. Today's episode is brought to you by Prime Video. Uncontrollable frowning and inability to smile an expression like you just smelled something rotten. These are all signs of resting binge face caused by too many streaming services. But Prime Video ends resting binge face so you can smile again. Easily find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds, and Snakes. Get everything included on Prime. And add hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership requires for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This NBA Finals, which now, by the time people listen to this, uh, you'll be listening on Wednesday as we're recording on Tuesday night. And Game 4 will be tonight. Um, I think it is very, very easy to always just get caught up in the moment, what the immediacy of it all, what we just saw is what affects us the most opinion wise. But I found it interesting when I looked at, I don't know if you've looked at the three game stats on this. It's wild because we've had a couple of, you know, they've, they've been double digit margins. These games have not gone down to anywhere close to the last shot. And yet almost all across the board, it is dead even. The Bucks are averaging 111 points. The 
Suns are averaging 112. Uh, Bucks are rebounding a little better. Assists, basically the same. Steals, basically the same. Bucks have a few more blocks. Turnovers, roughly the same. Field goal percentage, very close. Three point percentage, identical. And then free throw percentage, obviously the Bucks are much worse than the Suns. But it's odd that after three games, and then you have the one guy who's been amazing in Chris Paul, 57% from the field, 50% from three, averaging 25 and nine. But then you've got Booker, who's averaging 38%, 33% from three. Same thing on the other side. Giannis, 63% from the field. 22% from three, which is actually good for him, averaging 34, 14, and five. And then you've got Middleton, 41%, Holiday, 39%. And then both of them are mid-30s on threes. And so it's fascinating. You've got one guy that's having these, what would be like a, a historically great NBA finals performances, Giannis and Chris Paul, and they are nowhere close in age. And it's a matter of, we talked the last time we spoke was after game two. And it was like, yeah, Giannis was amazing, but holiday and Middleton stunk. Well, now it was like, Chris Paul's still really good. He's at, he's got these big numbers. Um, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a good Devin Booker game. And so, and, but on the flip side, holiday was really good. And Middleton was really good. And they're both so good at home. It just feels like, you know, while the margins, of, it's weird. The margins of these games are not indicative of a close series. And yet, I feel more confident than ever that we're going to see games. I think we're going to see a game seven. I really do. Wouldn't at, shock I mean, me one bit. At least we're going to see game six. Yeah. Wouldn't shock me one bit if we don't, if we see a game seven here. And I mean, I look forward to seeing how the Suns respond here. Like, what is the defensive adjustment you make? Um, you know, non eight minutes are going to be a problem. We've discussed that. I talked about that with Bill Simmons on his podcast on Sunday night. But if you're the Suns here, do you want to do what the Bucks did? to disturb their offense. The Bucks put more pressure on the Suns, started pressuring Chris Paul a bit more past the half-court line. Do you want to do the inverse of that and do the same to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday or Jeff Teague if he's getting minutes out there? Could that be something the Suns could do here? Try to ramp up the pressure a little bit, get them out of their rhythm? I listen to too you much? with Bill, and what I would say is I'm more on the side when you presented... Uh, Giannis is going to do what Giannis is going to do. You know, like you don't have a great answer and it feels like anything that you would go to, um, anything that you would go to would then enable those other guys to have games that they would not normally have unless that extra attention that is required for Giannis is paid. Now, all of a sudden you got a real problem on your hands because you're not stymieing him completely but the other guys are now nah, they're cracking. Um, the big thing is keeping Aiton on the floor. And, you know, I heard you mention this, and this was there was a couple Monty Williams things that were surprising. And you know how much 
we, we think of the job Monty Williams has done and, and respect we have for him. But there were two things that were very perplexing, I thought, in game three with the way it played out. Number one, the Aiton sitting on the bench stuff, to me, is uh, it's just the wrong play. I know, and there's been all kinds of studies done about this. Coaches always want guys to be there when the game is going to be decided. But many times you will watch them hold a guy out and the game gets completely away. And that's what happened to him. Once he got that foul at the beginning of that third quarter, which was a reaction play. There's a couple of things. Aiton's got to be better on these because I don't mind if you're going to get these fouls, if you are stopping them from scoring. His first two fouls were not shooting fouls. And that fourth one, which was the killer one that gets you pulled out of the game, that one was Paul got it ripped by Middleton and he grabbed Giannis, just like a reaction play. And so that that can't be the fouls. That can't be why you're in foul trouble. I need your fouls to just be shooting fouls. If you're stopping Giannis from making a layup, okay. But like three of those fouls weren't shooting fouls. And, but Monty put him on the bench and that's fine. You've got him for the end of the game, but now at the end of the game doesn't even matter because you've gotten run off so badly that it's not a game. And so, and how many, and he didn't foul out by the way, he never fouled out of that game. And so coaches do this. I know it's the way it is. There's just like a standard. It's like you look at a chart. You get two in the first quarter, three before halftime, four early in the third quarter, but they have got to find a way to keep him on the court, and he's got to find a way to keep himself on the court. The other thing is this now puts a massive spotlight on the Booker thing. He benched him. I I tried to listen to him talk about this and why he wasn't back out there. And I don't know. I guess we're going to see how Booker responds to it, right? Because that was the last 13 minutes of the game, something like that, 1248, I think it was. And we didn't see Booker at all. And so, you know, I know there's the line of thinking of, hey, let him go out there. Maybe he catches a heater in the fourth quarter and it can carry over to the next game, give him some confidence. Or, you know, what was that? Um, And what happens with Booker? I know he said, I don't even want to, I I think Cassie Hubbard asked him, what do you say to Devin? He's like, I don't want to say anything to him. I don't want to get in his head. He's going to be fine. And that was it. You know, and so those two things are super surprising. The leaving Aiton on the bench, they cannot afford to do it. Just let him foul out. If he's going to foul out, go down, swing it. And the, and the Booker being on the bench for that fourth quarter, those now gave me a little cause for pause that I've never had before. What about you? Well, I mean, with Booker also, the production just hasn't been there. You know, ever since the nose injury, he's had some great moments, some great games, but also a lot of low efficiency games where he struggled from the floor. And naturally, in this series, he's getting hounded, whether it's by Drew Holiday or P.J. Tucker. He's going oftentimes against very, very difficult offensive players, you know? So for him, it's challenging because of who he's going against. Never mind what's going on 
with his face and any pain he's feeling throughout the game, any pain that he's feeling when he wakes up in the morning. Like it might not, might not be contact in a game that's bothering him. It might just be waking up. Right. Like you went through that. Like what's it like in the morning when you wake up, do you have like a headache, you know, like a sinus headache in the morning? Is that what it feels like? The the whole experience is awful. And he's, they said they broke it in three places and, and, and look, there's reasons and excuses. And I've been, I've been giving this as a reason since he did it. He, in, in six of the 12 games prior to it, he had 30-plus. He's had two in yep. seven games exactly. since he did it. And you could say, well, the finals, and it's all ratcheted up or whatever. I saw Devin Booker. Devin Booker could score against anybody, right? Like, he has not been right. He hasn't been right. He And, and it's not to say that he can't be because – he had the one crazy game where he had seven of 12 threes and everything was going his way. But you watch him the other night. I mean, we, we, we saw enough throughout the first part of the playoffs to know that he can play at this level. And he in no way strikes me as a guy that shrinks in the moment or is scared of it. I mean, I think if, if Monty would have played him in the fourth, he would have gone out there and he'd have shot eight more times. He might have missed them all, but he would have done it. He's going to go down swinging he's that he's wired that kind of way but there's no question he has really really struggled I me mean, for the series he's shooting 38 percent from the field which is i mean <laughs> and that includes a monster game two you know so that tells you how bad games one and three had to be for him and they need maybe these extra days off the longer the series goes maybe these extra days off help him you know? For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I think the other side of it here is the other guard on the Bucks side, Chris Middleton. They won that game three despite Chris Middleton, only six of 14 from the floor. He was five of 16 in game two. Game one, 12 of 26 for 29 points. Good, t- good numbers for him in the finals. But Chris Middleton always has one of those games where he's like 15 of 25, 14 of 20. He's going to have one of those. When is it going to happen? Could it be this game four here at home for the Bucks? That's going to be tough for Phoenix. That game will come at some point. And we saw, I mentioned the idea of pressuring maybe, you know, past the half court line. Sometimes if you're Phoenix, maybe you experiment with that. We did see them use a little bit more pressure than they usually do in the first half. They started pressuring, blitzing Chris Middleton, pick and rolls, turning him into a playmaker and the Bucks did well in that situation. That was off of pick and rolls that they did that. I just want, I, I mean, I wonder if we'll see Monty Williams ramp it up even more because it's not like if you pressure Chris Paul, it's Chris Paul. Like Chris Paul could dribble the ball up the floor comfortably, still get you into your offense. No problemo. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Jeff Teague. That's a different story there. Um, so I wonder what Phoenix will do. If anything, I wonder if there will be even be any dramatic changes here. I'm not sure there needs to be an overreaction. But I do think switching it up would make some sense in the same way that we've seen the Bucks change up their defense. They're doing different things with different lineups, different personnel. They're not just switching everything. They're not just dropping everything. Sometimes they're switching. Sometimes they're doing a late drop switch. Sometimes they're just dropping period and not doing a switch. So they're always doing something different on the floor. Maybe we start to see the Suns uh, install that uh, uncertainty for the Bucks with how they're defending them. I mean, I think they have to try something subtle, but not dramatic. Yeah, and they, and then I think if you're the Suns, you sit there and you go, hopefully we get Booker going, um, and hopefully we can keep Aiton on the floor. 
Yeah. And simple that stuff. We don't, it's true. And, and there's some of these extremes that are taking place. Like Crowder hit a bunch of threes in one of the games. And like, but I mean, Mikel Bridges had what, 25? And then he turned around and had two? Yeah, four four <laughs> points on, on two or four oh, shooting. Four like that's another, that's another thing. You're gonna get Bridges yeah. some open shots, but that that also, I mean, it, it like it's hard to to look at numbers and understand this, but like just watching the games, I felt like the Bucks did a better job making passes tough for the Suns. I saw a lot of tougher catches for Bridges and Johnson, even though Crowder was f- six for seven, he was on fire. A lot of those shots were off of tough catches, and I think that's that's a credit to the Bucks and their defense and closing those gaps for those passing lanes. So, can they continue to do that? Is there something the Suns can do to take advantage of that pressure? Maybe with some more back cuts, some design plays, get going towards the basket because that's what the Suns do. They move around the court, they cut, you know, they they, they set screens off ball, quick decisions, point five offense as Monty Williams calls it. So maybe we see them lean more into that in a more prepared way in Game Four. But no guarantees. The Bucs have a lot of good defensive players, and they're locked in. And I love Jay Crowder, but I promise you the Bucs will sign up for as many Jay Crowder threes as they're willing to shoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, of, of, the, of, the, of the possible outcomes of a possession, it's like, fine, shoot it. Because he, you know, th- he will go. He'll hit six or seven, but, like, the next game will go one for eight. We saw it with the Heat last up year. Up and down, up and down. His whole career, that's what it's always been, up and down. Yes. Um, and... I'm I'm mega fascinated with this series now and the whole Giannis thing with the 40 and 10 back to back. I mean, these historic numbers that Unreal, he is putting man. up and Unstoppable. like you can watch as much tape as you want. You could try to concoct any kind of defense. Like the truth is if he's going downhill and he has said, I'm trying to get downhill, if he's going downhill. Good luck. I mean, he's just, he's that special. And I mean, what you got to hope is he goes nine for 17 from the free throw line instead of 13 for 17. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like you try to, you try to keep him off the line. um, You know, at least some uh, by making him miss something in the restricted area, which in the last two games I read Kevin from six feet in, I want to get this right. He is 23 of 25. 92%. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, and, hey, in those games, the Suns within six feet are 51% as a team. I saw Kurt Goldsberry put that up. 92% within six feet of the basket. What is that? Like, aren't you going to have a couple of them just roll off or like, you know, bounce in and out or 92% within six feet of the basket. So what you got to hope is you could at least stop some of those. I mean, that is just absurd. And I, I really don't know what there's, there's no great answer. He is that spectacular right now, but Look, I'd imagine the Bucks will probably take care of business on their home floor, and the Suns are going to take care of business when they get back home. That's what makes it a great, evenly matched series. We bargained for that coming into this, and I think we're, I think we're getting it. I do. Even though the scores haven't been as yeah. close as we would have hoped for, I right. think this projects moving forward as a very close, very competitive, a very thrilling series. 
Yeah. I hope that's what we get, Chris. I really do. I hope we do. No more blowouts. Want close games. I want nail biters. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. Visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. It's been a lot more fun <laughs> to watch, even with those margins, yeah. than Team USA has been. Oh, geez. Holy mackerel. What a disaster. I, I, now, I watched our, they got on track against Argentina today, but Argentina, um, this is not your dad's Argentina, right? Like, there's no Andres Nocioni and Manu Ginobili <laughs> and like those, those guys. Those guys, Luis Skoll is there. I mean, he was on your dad's Argentina, but nobody else. Um, which, by the way, little uh, proper respect for 41 year old Luis Scola playing in his. Fifth Olympics, which is just outrageous. Fifth Olympics, 41, has cut the hair that was uh, so synonymous with his NBA career. He is ripped. He looks like friggin' Wolverine or something. Yeah, dude. He's Unbelievable. In, he, he's in like, you know, bodybuilder shape. It's kind of crazy. Mean, you're supposed to have a dad bod, Luis. <laughs> he's still playing. He's ripped. Looks like he could do a triathlon or something. He's got the uh, closely shaven hair. Like he looks like a like like he could work in an office or something now. And forever, he always had that long, sweaty hair his whole career. Um, but they don't have the players. They, I mean, Argentina does, and I don't want to take away from what Team USA did. But I couldn't help but laugh as Team USA kicked the hell out of them. Greg Popovich, who jumped all over the uh, reporter from The Athletic, saying, teams don't get blown out anymore. And he was, like, arguing. And, you know, of course, the re reporter responded back, like, giving him the USA's margin of victory against these teams. <laughs> and then they beat the shit out of Argentina. It's like, yeah. oh, hey, Pop, I thought nobody gets blown out anymore. Um, they were miserable against Nigeria. They are miserable in the, in, in, in the game prior to the Australia game. So... I guess good to get on track against Argentina, but I don't know, man. I think this is going to be a real, it's going to be a real, everybody kept saying they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. I, I think they're going to have some problems with the really good teams for sure. So like Australia, they might have trouble. France, yep. they could have trouble. Yep. You know, I think these types Spain, of teams, may, maybe usually yeah, like Spain, like there could be some trouble there. Yeah, um, Nigeria, <laughs> definitely. 
But ultimately, in the end here, this team is supposed to be getting Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker. So what? We'll see, we'll see if all three of them come back. But, I mean, I talked about this a little bit. Wait, with who Bill. are they playing over? Well, I mean, they'll be on the roster. It'll be better than playing Kevin Love minutes. Not, who's going to play those minutes? Drew Holiday? I mean, it, Kevin Love. I, I can't even believe he's there. What did you think about uh, my conversation with Bill on Sunday's pod about Kevin Love, if you listened? Uh, Bill, Bill hates it. Hates that Kevin Love's on the team. I do not think that Kevin Love should be on the team. I don't. I don't think that I don't think that when you when you mail it in like he did for three years for three years, you know, and you're getting paid the amount of money that you are like to me. And then everybody's talking about a buyout for you and everything else. I mean, I I think it is a tremendous honor to get to represent your country and go play in the Olympics and I do think that there is a necessary, uh, I, I, and I know that like you're, you're not always going to have, it's not like he's a, you know, a mass murderer or something, right? I don't want to act like his deeds are some horrible deeds that he's done, but a basketball wise, and that's what's first here, basketball wise, he has not proven to be responsible and professionalism wise, in my opinion has not proven to be responsible in terms of like, even if you want to act like a jackass off the court and you want to force trades and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of commonplace in the NBA. I draw the line when you mail it in. Like to me, uh, I just, if you're going to, if you're going to collect the $31 million check, go play, be a good example Try to be a leader for young players on your team. Well, that's what I mean. Like, that's what you're saying is like, that's where you draw the line. Cause like, you're not competing for the good of your team. Like, that's that's right. what you mean. Yeah. Do what Chris Paul did. Go lead somebody. You think he wanted to be in Oklahoma city? Shit. At 35 years old. With that said though, Chris, I mean, Kevin Love is not the reason why this team could have some potential issues. No, there are not, there are not enough defense first players on the roster. You not mean, there's also not who can team get in there. basketball players. It's a lot of isolation players. It's an yes. all-star team, essentially. Yes. I still think they're going to win it all. They should get gold, but they the should. team's not perfect. They're, the team's still not perfectly constructed. They need guys to lock in and become the guys that they can when they put in full effort on defense. And I think that'll happen eventually. I think the two things that, that stand out to me. A, they needed a real point guard. They should have brought a real point guard. They should have. They're, they're running a weird offense, by the way. Not enough pick and roll, in my opinion. Not enough pick and roll. I'd love to see some down. Like, look, can we see Draymond Green screen five plays in a row for Damian Lillard? I would love to see that. Let's just see it. Ha- let's see what happens. I want to see what happens with Kevin Durant spacing the floor and Bradley Beal. Like, let's see what happens. I don't think they're going to be able to stop it. Simple stuff. Let's do I it. I also think they don't have the guy. Once upon a time, everybody on that team, they knew Michael Jordan's the guy. And they have Kobe, a bunch of the guys. Kobe was the guy. Yeah, but they have a bunch of the guys. No, 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 anybody no, can the, be the guy. No, but there is the guy that everybody looks up to. The He's leader, the guy. You mean the leader? Yes. Is Damian Lillard the guy? And he's, he's, also he's getting, the, and, and he's also the best player. No, you know, it, it would have been LeBron. Obviously, LeBron's got Space Jam and <laughs> and Curry. Curry, I think, could actually be that guy at this point. In, in career, 
But I the don't way, the think... way they're feeding Lillard seemed like they want him to be the guy. They were leaning on Damian Lillard like they're the Portland Trailblazers, and they also put him on the podium with Pop. Mm-hmm. That's not Kevin Durant on that podium with Pop. Like that does tell you something, you know. That might have been because he had the best game, maybe you know, on the team, but maybe. But you know, you talked about it. Like I think that there are. It, it, this is a this is a weird mix where there isn't Kevin Durant's never been known as the guy that is the rally the troops everybody looks up to me guy right and I if Chris Paul was there everybody would be looking up to Chris Paul Chris Paul would obviously be it's a weird spot because you've got Draymond who's usually a very vocal leader and heart and soul type guy and yet you already know you know, Durant probably rolls his eyes a little bit that there's, you know, <laughs> especially when he was dribbling it off his leg, trying to go for the floater and it ends up in the corner to Tatum. And I just think you've got a, there's not like, who's the leader of that team. Who's the guy, even to me, there have been times where it's like, I know the ball is going to be in this guy's hands down three to Australia. Like, what's your answer? Who? Let's say we go into that, and it happens in the Olympics. We're down three, 10 seconds left. Is it Lillard? Durant? Chris, I, I don't think this is the problem, Chris. Probably Durant. Have, I don't think this is the problem. You have a lot of great options. You probably can't go wrong with any of them. It's the you defense. Feel, what are you talking about? They've gone wrong with all of them the last two times they've gotten it, beat. It, it's just... It's just two exhibition games against though. Australia and Nigeria. And maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not reading into it enough. Yeah. I still think this team's going to win goals. I, I, look, they should, they should. Yeah, they should. But they the fact will. that they're a 32 point favorite against Nigeria and they lose to them. And then they're a 17 and a half point favorite against Australia is extremely alarming. <laughs> it <laughs> right? is. I mean, it is. It may not be as easy as it should be. And I think this is more a knock on the people who are putting this team together. It's a poorly constructed team. A guy who hasn't tried for three years has been rewarded with a roster spot. It's a poorly constructed well, team. They don't have bigs and and whether, whether they win gold or not, like whoever's putting this roster together, look in the mirror. You can do better. Well, there's nothing funnier to me than watching, you know, the other team, they got a 41-year-old Luis Scola, and it's like, oh, yeah. all right, can't let him kill us. So we're having to play Draymond and Bam at the same time. <laughs> Just rough, so man. we've got some size and some guys that are going to get in there and, like, you know, fight. You're fighting a 41-year-old for God's I mean, like, that's, that's what you're having to do against them is just to – and I know they ended up playing really well and ended up beating up Argentina. But I don't, after watching Nigeria, after watching Australia, I think those teams are, they're good basketball teams. That uh, there's, there's been a gap here. Argentina lost their guys. You know, so many of those guys that played together for so long, obviously led by Ginobili, that's not the same. When, when Scola's still playing at 41, that tells you how much, New blood. I mean, it would be the equivalent of like we we had like Antoine Jameson playing power forward. <laughs> Antoine Jameson. You would think that's outrageous, <laughs> would, right? Would you pull like, that what, name out of your brain, Chris? I'm just Antoine saying, Jameson. Like, somebody that's like around that 
year, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. around that age, <laughs> you'd be like, what the hell? Antoine, like nobody has come around since Antoine Jameson. You know who else started for them today? Your favorite player, Chris Campazzo. Yeah. Your favorite. Wow. Big fan. I know you're a big fan of him. I just had to bring that up. Yeah. How, how did he end up? Did he end up pretty good? Did he do okay today? No. He had uh, four of 12, 12 mm. points, two of nine from three, two of five from the line, two rebounds, three fouls, two assists, two turnovers, one steal. How'd my guy Balmaro end up? Because I, I really liked him in the draft. Balmaro, four points on two of three in 11 minutes. Ridiculous. Two fouls, a rebound, three turnovers, no assists. They need to play him. Yeah. Give they him some more minutes. I liked yeah. him in the draft. I really did. Yeah, he, he's a and big, they say he's coming playmaker. over, right? Yeah, big playmaker. I like Balmaro, too. He's got, some, he's got a chance to be a good player in the NBA. When they say he's coming over this yeah. year, that'll be good for Minnesota. Because they got him on that draft night. I thought uh, I thought the Knicks should have kept him, Bomaro. Um, but, I mean, they ended, they ended up – it was a good draft as long as uh, Obi works out because the quickly thing looks hey, like, that, like it, that was the, very good. The Wolves don't need Ben Simmons. They get Bomaro coming over. <laughs> Wait, Wolves, Ben Simmons? Yeah, I mean, there was a rumor today uh, oh, Lord. about about the teams that have interest in Ben Simmons. You saw that, right, Chris? Oh, no. From Sham Sharania. The, ben the, Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns? From Okay, from Mark Stein, in addition to Indiana and Minnesota, which was from Shams, I believe. Mark Stein reported the Cavs and the Kings and the Raptors are teams that have expressed interest. I'll tell you what. Indiana, Minnesota, Cleveland, Sacramento, Toronto... I can't imagine those are teams high on clutch and Ben Simmons lists. I can't imagine that, but I'll tell you this, Chris, this is my understanding. It was reported earlier today. I believe from Shams that the Sixers want an all-star caliber player in return. That all-star caliber player is either, is either Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal. That's who the Sixers want. That's the, those are the guys at the top of their wish list for Ben Simmons. So any deal that they make is about getting enough trade assets or players to put together for those guys. So like for the Sixers here, they're looking for ways to do a three-way deal to get one of those guys. And I, I would, I, I don't know if that's going to end up happening. I don't, I would, ex- I would bet. No, don't you think you say that, that that's what you say. But doesn't mean that's what you end up doing, but that's what they want. That's their preference. i tell you this. I don't know how you could package it. I mean, you throw a contract in there. If you say, fine, we'll give you Ben Simmons, but you got to give us, you got to give us Buddy Heald. You got to give us Halliburton. And you got to give and, and Harrison Barnes, right? We'll make the money, whatever, whatever, yeah. however. We'll, Something like that. Yeah. And then you get the dead eye shooter to put alongside, you know, a, around Def- defensive beat. wing. You get the, yep. That's not Young a bad deal. I, I, oh, Chris, hey, and throw I, in Bagley too. With you. And we'll take a shot yeah. on Bagley. Chris, I'm 100% with you. Like, that's Philly's plan. They want Damian Lillard. They want Bradley Beal. Yep. It, it doesn't mean that there's not pressure from Joel Embiid mm-hmm. to make a move. It doesn't mean that there's not pressure from ownership to make a move now. It doesn't mean that Daryl Morey isn't like, you know what? I don't want to risk going into the season with Ben Simmons. Let's just take the best deal we possibly can now. There is upside in waiting. There's also downside 
What if what if they go into the season and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons start to clash because of how things ended? What if Ben Simmons is no better and pressure ramps up and then his value actually drops? Because right now, like it hasn't dropped all that much. Teams still really love Ben Simmons. He's 25 years old. He's an all-star. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. He's a great playmaker. Teams want Ben Simmons. But what if it comes to a point that you have to make a trade? Then value goes down, and then you're not getting a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal. Then you might not even be getting Tyrese Halliburton with Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes, as you just you know put out yeah, there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm just idea, saying something so. like that that, that yeah, you would yeah. get. That, that to me, you're you're doing everything with Embiid in mind. Exactly, and, and that de- type of deal, yep. multiple pieces, yep. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that one does. It really does. As so, soon as you brought up the Kings, to me. I look at that as like stuff that because you remember that whole Buddy Heald liking the tweet and everybody thought that they were maybe going to make a deal for him last year. That's what they need. They need that kind of just all you got to do is space out the floor. Get this guy and and Buddy Heald. I know he had a down year this last year. He's one of the best shooters in the world. Like he's one of the best shooters in the world. And if you're going to get that guy open threes, he's going to knock down a lot of open threes. And Barnes could be a piece, and obviously Halliburton's yeah, got sure. crazy potential. If, if Halliburton ends up becoming an all-star, it's not going to shock anybody. They also have the ninth pick in the draft, too. Right. And that's the funny thing about those teams listed. Cleveland has the third pick. Toronto has the fourth pick. I wonder if we'll see either of those teams put those picks on the table. And for the Sixers, do you, you know, naturally you want to flip that pick for a proven superstar. But I wonder if at that point you're like, yeah, you know what? We'll draft Jalen Suggs. He's ready to play right away. He might not be at his peak, but a young guy, bring him in. Maybe maybe you go a little bit younger. I don't see it, but I'm just throwing the idea out there to go that side of things rather than pushing it and going now. I think I personally think you have to push now. You have Joel Embiid. He's still young. He's still in his 20s, but with his injury history and how big he is and the history of guys that size with durability issues as they near 30 and get past 30. The time is now like you can't be patient here. So it has to have something in return that can help you now, which is why I like that idea that you mentioned with the Kings because Halliburton, you know, you could help, you know, healed could help, you know, Harrison Bards could help. And if you get a pick with that too, that's a heck of a haul, man. I'll tell you that. That like that would be a pretty good haul for a guy that doesn't hit his free throws, is, is allergic to shooting, who hasn't improved on offense, who only has a right hook in the post, who's stubborn on the offensive end of the floor when it comes to his development. So to me, that would be great for the Sixers if they were to able to pull off a deal like that or exactly like that. I'm into that idea, Chris. I wonder what Sixers fans think. Let us let us know. Yeah. If you're a Sixers fan listening to the show and also if you're a Kings fan, I'm curious. Oh, Sixers fans, Sixer fans are like at, at this point, come on. They take they would take just heels. If they tip off the season with Ben Simmons playing point guard, they ain't going to be thrilled. But what if Ben Simmons comes back like a 34% right-handed shooter from three. <laughs> it's pretty good, Chris. Pretty good. Yeah. Well, by the way, what the, this all started with the T-Wolves. What the hell would they give up? Anthony Edwards? Like, what, no. what, what, they don't have anything They want. want to give up Edwards. With, I don't want D'Angelo Russell, so what are you giving me? Malik Beasley? Like, like, what do they have that I want? I guess Beasley? I don't think I D-Lo. like him. I don't think Maury would want D'Lo. D- like I said, D'Lo wants Lillard or Beal. Doesn't mean Maury's going to get those guys. Yeah, but that's who Maury wants: Lillard yeah. or Beal. Well, he good wanted James Harden too. 
Didn't get him. Yeah, that didn't it didn't work out. Um, you mentioned the draft, and we are now about two weeks away. You know, it's coming it's coming pretty quickly. I know you're gonna be updating a lot of your draft stuff on the ringer. Um, just real quickly, what have you been thinking about the most over the course of the last week? Because this is kind of the time where we're about to enter hyperspace in terms of the boards and the mocks and everything changing dramatically as more research is done, as more pro days take place, as more, uh, you know, uh, as you talk to more people, you know, I I think, I think back to last year. And if we would have talked a couple weeks before the draft, it would have been pretty wild to think Patrick Williams is going to go forth. But then by the time we got to the draft, Patrick Williams going forth, wasn't crazy shocking, right? Kind of had some, tips that that might be very well taking place. Um, what about this year in terms of what you're thinking about the most with about two weeks out? I'm thinking about the guys who could be late first round picks, early second round picks that are great value. And somebody like Trey Murphy out of Virginia, you know, doing my evaluations over of a bunch of guys Trey Murphy's the guy that I look at six, eight, six, nine, great shooter, high IQ, smart player, versatile defensively. I mean, like what more can you ask for? Like it's so much like kind of Sadiq Bay last year, except probably better. Sadiq Bay comes in right away. It's a very good defensive wing, very good offensive wing for the Detroit Pistons. He could have played for anybody in the postseason. Trey Murphy, one of those types of guys. And my understanding is there's some late lottery hype for him mid first round hype for him. So he's rising on teams boards. Uh, Somebody like out of the G league, Isaiah Todd, there was a report today that he's not working out for teams in the late first round. Now he's only focusing on teams that are in the lottery or near the lottery. Isaiah Todd was a guy people talked about in the second round. I'm not sure where I'm going to have him ended up ranked on my big board, but like you think about six foot 10, he can shoot. He can do a little bit off the dribble for you. He's got some post game. He's just got to figure it out on defense. He's got to figure some stuff out on offense to, you know, improve the raw areas of his game. But like from a foundation standpoint, that's a guy I'd love to take a shot on for upside. So I'm thinking about the guys with certainty, like Trey Murphy, who can contribute on a rookie contract and have great value for your franchise, but also the guys that could have upside like an Isaiah Todd. And how do you rank those guys, you know, against each other? Like that's the challenge in the draft, the certainty, Versus the raw players who have upside and it's, it's, it's challenging, but there's a lot of those guys like JT Thor, you know, is raw upside. Chris Duarte is certainty. Like ranking those guys is almost like two different games. It's two different situations for every individual team. When you have said, um, you said the first guy's Virginia, right? Yeah. Trey Murphy. Yeah. Pretty good. Great program. Pretty good recent track record for Tony Bennett there, right? Whether it's, you can go back to Brogdon, Joe Harris, uh, DeAndre Hunter looked like he was going to really turn into a player. Uh, even even year. Justin Anderson, had he figured out how to shoot threes, yep. he would have been an NBA player. Had yep. he figured that out. Yeah, there's been a Ty Jerome's yeah. bounced around yep. so far. Still got a shot. Still yeah, super young. Yeah, for sure. And I still I'm still a fan of his. But you know you have to defend there, and you know that you uh, play a, a, a very uh, smart brand of basketball at Virginia, right? If you're going to get on the floor and you're going to play for him, you're going to win a lot of games or whatever. I, and I, I'm so glad you brought up that particular topic because we talked about this in regards to Cam Johnson. That was part of our discussion. And I thought you brought up something super smart 
regarding this that I had not thought a lot about, but I, I will tell you that since our conversation, I've thought a lot about this. Um, and it was in reference to Cam Johnson. It was a reference to Desmond Bain. It was in reference to Brandon Clark, like some of these older guys that have come in. You mentioned that Duarte kid. So one of the things that you find out that has become much more prevalent since the last collective bargain agreement is that if you're going to be a really, really good team um, and you're going to have two or three awesome players, you're going to be paying them a fortune. And a lot of these teams just don't have depth. Once you pay your guys, once you pay them, it's really hard to have depth and nailing it in the draft. The Celtics are going through this, right? They didn't nail these draft picks. They don't have depth, right? As soon as they had to pay, really pay out for guys. So they're paying Kemba, they're paying Tatum, they're paying Jalen. And now you got to fill out the rest of the roster and it's hard because, you know, if a guy's really worth the salt, by the time, you know, free agency comes around, you're going to have to give him a nickel and you're hoping you can get real contribution from guys on rookie contracts. So you need Romeo Langford and Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard, all those guys to hash out. Well, regarding what you were saying with guys being able to contribute immediately, the reason I've thought about this so much more recently, Kev, is because if you've got your guys on your team and you're a pretty good team, that drafting those guys and having them be able to play for you, say you're getting them for four years, I know this guy's going to be able to play, and he's going to be able to play for me for four years. Four years. And then we can figure it out after that, right? But I know this guy's going to be able to, he's going to be able to play for me. I'm going to be able to plug him in a lineup next year and play for me. And for the next four years, I got a player rather than maybe the last two years, you know, he takes a step up like the, the, the way it was always done since the beginning of time. You usually didn't see guys be awesome in year one and year two. And you didn't see him leading Easter Conference finals teams in year three or being one of the top five players in the NBA in Luka's case in year three. But that the trajectory now is so fast with those guys that now you sit there and you say, I mean, geez, I know what I think this guy's going to be in four years, but guess what else is going to happen in four years? If he is what I think he's going to be, I'm going to be paying him a fortune. Right? I mean, paying him a fortune. Like, Jonathan Isaac has not done, we both like him. He hadn't done dick for Orlando. And he's gotten, what, what did he get, 80 million? He got an $80 million deal. So, like, they're paying Jonathan Isaac starting next year. They ain't got nothing from it. Now, that's because of injury, but still, that kind of stuff happens. Guys get injured, guys develop, you know, they may not play that much. Like, you know, your guy Mo Bamba, he hadn't gotten enough minutes. He hadn't played. So by the time Mo Bamba, actually, if he if he turns out to be pretty good, by the time he's pretty good, now all of a sudden he's going out and you got to pay him like real money to keep him on your team. Whereas if you can find a guy that could come in and play for you for four years on a rookie contract, I think that actually has more value than ever. Now, that's what I've been thinking about. That 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 actually 
has more value now than ever. Um, and that is not to say you don't take home run swings on guys that will develop over time. I'm just saying that now where if you got stars, you're paying them $30, $40 million a year. Boy, if you can go get some guys that can help them quick, now all of a sudden, like you've got somebody outperforming a contract for four years. It's it's a difficult balance because, you know, on like like I said, it's tough to balance the two because if you take the guy who you feel like can play right away, you might be end up you might end up taking Kelly Olenek over Giannis. You might take Solomon Hill or Reggie Bullock instead of Rudy Gobert in the late oh, first sure. round. Like yes. that can happen. Like if you don't take a swing, you're not gonna hit a grand slam. You're just not gonna you're not gonna with your draft pick if you don't take the swing and the risk on a guy that doesn't have the upside. With that said, though, there's immense value in having your Cam Johnsons and having your Mikel Bridges, your guys who you're like, you know what? They might not be a star, but they can be stars in their roles. Like you got to have those guys to be a championship contender. So it's about where you are and your timeline of where you're building your team out, where you think your roster will be in a year or two or three it's a challenge, dude. And that's why I like with these general big boards, you know, where it's like for all 30 teams, the truth is like, it'd be dramatically different for the Kings versus the thunder versus the magic versus, you know, the Pacers versus the bucks. Like it's a dramatically different board for every team. So, I mean, this year has a lot of those guys with both extremes, the high upside guys who have a lot of questions about their game that could pop. Versus guys like the Chris Duarte's and the Corey Kispert's who can play and offer a role as a shooter or a defender or whatever it might be. Well, let's just say it's not always, though. I think sometimes we don't know what the ceiling is. And that's why, like, look, nobody would have said that you're taking a home or a grand slam swing when you're drafting. Malcolm Brogdon and Draymond Green and Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler and like even Kawhi Leonard. It wasn't a home run switch. Like there's there's a ton of guys yes. though. Go- that guys can't exceed expectations yeah, for sure. Wouldn't when we saw them, we said that's a guy that's gonna be this, right? And he's gonna be able to star in his role or whatever. But turns out, like their ceiling was way higher than any sure. of us ever yep. thought it was going to be. Right, they're, they're that's ceiling. a bonus on Indiana. Yeah. Sabonis, yeah. somebody like that. Ceiling is way higher, right? It's not just nineteen-year-olds that have high ceilings. Sometimes a twenty-two-year-old has a high ceiling too. You know, <laughs> we just didn't, we just didn't see it. Look, it's how Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I mean, if people thought Donovan Mitchell was going to be Donovan Mitchell, you know, it's not like he only played. He wasn't a one and done at Louisville. Wasn't a guy that like Trey Young did and took the college basketball by storm. You know, next thing you know, you get him at 13. I mean, what was his ceiling? Nobody, I promise you, nobody thought it was scoring 50 in playoff games. Everybody's path is different. <laughs> yep. It's so unpredictable. It's so hard. It really is. No, the draft is always hard. Yeah, I mean, all you got to know about how unpredictable it is and how many mistakes are made is just look at the history of the draft. Teams that have all the intel, all the medical, have all the information, have all the stories from the high school guidance counselor to the best friend to this kid like who got bullied him at school or whatever, like everything with all the extremes, like you get everything and they still get it wrong. 
They have the, the best analytics models in the world. They still get it wrong. Oh, yeah. It's very difficult to draft a, a 19 or 23-year-old kid <laughs> and project I, him in the NBA. Like, There's so many variables. There's so many that make it difficult. I told you, uh, I told you this story last year, I, and I just thought of it this week because I saw some story about how, was it Terrence Davis, the guy for used to be with the Raptors at the Kings. He wants like double-digit millions a year or something. Like There was some story about him like in this offseason and how much he wants. And I told you, it was just a few years ago. I asked an executive in the league when I was going through the names and I said, Terrence Davis, the note I have written down next to Terrence Davis was should play football. (laughs) (laughs) And I just saw a story about him, like going to command the double digit millions in the off season or whatever. And I was like, just two years ago. And that's a scout who had that. Yes. An NBA scout who had that note. Yeah. Told me he should play football. Kind of says all you need to know. Now, yeah. in fairness, he's from Mississippi, and he was an amazing football player. <laughs> but he's also probably going to make himself $50 million playing NBA basketball. He was undrafted. He didn't get drafted, right? Terrence Davis. And, and same with, like, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Van Vliet, a far better player than Terrence Davis, who, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see what type of deal he ends up getting. <laughs> Nobody but... thought he had a ceiling at all. Forget what is his ceiling. Nobody thought he had... A ceiling. It's like mm. you just you never know. It's hard. I don't know. Yeah. Uh well, good luck with it. I don't envy you trying to put together the <laughs> big board and the mock draft. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put Killian Hayes number one again. By the way, give Killian Hayes some time. Oh, is he uh <laughs> is he playing time. in this Olympic thing? I gotta tune him in. Or right, is he on the tee? Is he playing with them? This uh this offseason? I don't, I don't believe so. No. I, I don't think. Oh, he couldn't get Frank's spot? (laughs) They could have a war for the point guard spot. (laughs) France awarded a lot of the older guys. A lot of veterans made that team. Frankie Smokes is, right? I believe Frankie Smokes is on the team, yes. (gasps) By the way, have you heard of this, uh, the French guy? Yeah, I talked about him with Bill on Sunday. Victor Wenbanyama. I didn't get to hear the end. I didn't get to, I I didn't make it to it. Um, in the pod. Okay, yeah. Vic, Victor Dub. Yeah. He V-Dub. was on. He was on TV this weekend. Yeah, we, we talked about him. Seven foot two, a young kid who Lord. can hit threes, do a little bit off the dribble, block a heck of a lot of shots. <laughs> he he's a twenty twenty three first round pick, number one pick in all likelihood. I saw Bob say pick. he'd go number one in this draft. I, I was like, about that. Damn. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, but like definitely top three. Best international yeah. prospect since Luca. Yeah. 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 Seven yeah. two. And yeah. he's playing in the under eighteen. Yeah. And he's mobile. What is he gonna be? He's eight mobile. foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> hope not. I hope he stops growing. You don't want him to get too tall. <laughs> oh, I want an eight footer. That <laughs> oh, would that'd be, be amazing. Crazy, right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, assuming no, another, you could run. Yes, assuming you could run and stay healthy. That's that's the priority. <laughs> yes. But uh, he yeah, but very, uh, yeah, he's a he's a real talent, man. Oh he's a real talent. Seven two. Uh, when I saw there was a seven two guy in the under eighteen, I was like, "You got to be kidding!" But he's me. The, like he's not on the French team either. You know, like they didn't pick any of the young guys. Damboya from the Detroit Pistons didn't make it either. Oh wow! Yeah, so, Damboya didn't. Yeah, he didn't make it either. So they t- picked a lot of veterans. Fournier, Gobert, yeah, Fournier, yep, yeah, exactly. Is, is Frankie Smokes? Frankie Smokes is on it. Vincent Poirier is on it. Okay. I think the youngest guy might be Gerson Yabusele. I believe mm. he might be the youngest guy who made the team. Dang. Yeah. They don't make it easy. 
Kevin O'Killian no. not getting to see his no. guy in the no. Olympics. That's Dis- disappointing. Crap. They don't know what it, they it have in France. Hey, as long as he's working on his jump shot, <laughs> I'm feeling really good about his future in the NBA. Really good. Really good. Okay. Playing alongside Cade Cunningham or? M- maybe. We'll see. It's either that or buried behind him and it stunts his growth. So you got to hope. They can work. They can work. You got to hope they together. can play together. They can. I yeah. believe. I believe in Killian Hayes. Buying <laughs> stock, Chris. I'm buying when everybody else is selling Killian Hayes. Hey, go on eBay. You can find them. They're nothing. Go <laughs> 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 I'll buy the Balmaro cards. You buy yeah. the Killian Hayes cards. <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin, I hope this NBA Finals continues to uh, be good, and I will catch up with you on Friday. I'm looking forward to it. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks to producer Sasha, as always. And we'll talk to you later this week. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time and the tunnel and on travel days? Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Au contraire, you're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com.